This podcast is brought to you by our funders, Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities and Puranga Kura Māori Research Centre. E te tī, e te tā, nau mai piki mai ki tēnei i pāho ara ko he whare mō wai. And this episode features one of our own team, Hannah Marie Munga, who will be speaking about what it's like to grow up and live in an intergenerational homestead in Tāmaki Makaurau. She takes us through some of the advantages and expectations associated with living with her wider whānau, and she shares some of her own experiences pursuing home ownership. Tēnā are taringa mai! Um, lovely to have you on our podcast today and have a korero to you about our mahi that we're doing together but also some of the mahi that you're doing outside of um, our research and about who you are. Um, so if you could start by just uh, telling everyone a little bit about yourself, um, your background and the kind of mahi you're doing today. Um, kia orana, my name is Hana Marie Munga. Um, my family are from the Cook Islands and Te Uriya Hau Ngāti Whātua, all the way up in the Kaipara. Um, so I am the eldest of four. We have a big family with multiple people. Um, and currently I'm working as an architectural graduate at Mall Studio and a part-timer research assistant at Ngāi Te Tui. Um, my profession is in housing at the moment. Um, and it, it works quite well because both Nawaititui and Mall Studio are both across architecture and helping um, Māori and PI communities, which is my passion. Yeah, so talking about your passion in architecture, um, could you tell us a little bit more about how you got into architecture, like why, why you decided to go to architecture school? Oh yeah, so when I came out of high school, it was either art teacher or architecture, and architecture had more money <laughs> involved with that, um, so they say. And uh, so I started my, um, my passion in housing thinking that the goal is to get my family into housing, into a nice house. It didn't have to be flash, but it had to be ours. Um, and all my siblings and all my family that do come and go, we could accommodate for that. Come to architecture school, seven years later, it's realistically can't afford it, um, even with my skills, even with the qualifications. It's actually quite, quite daunting, quite intimidating to try even get into home ownership. Um, so I was not prepared for that, um, for that realistic view of that. So I'm still on the journey. I'm still working full time, working two jobs trying to provide for my family and myself in other ways that I can at the moment. But architecture was the only way that I could give back to my family. Um, and then eventually, hopefully, uh, get into housing in the Cook Islands. 
So the idea was for my family to eventually retire back into um, Raro in our homeland. Um, at the moment, my mum is currently trying to get land. Uh, it's quite another process. It's quite stressful as well, quite um, toxic with a family trying to give up some barriers and get in the way. Quite greedy with land and money over there. Um, but you know, love to the family. We're still family at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, that just takes a lot more, a lot more time. You have to at least have 50% of the whānau that are related to the land to say that you can own it. So she, yeah, she's working through that. Cool. Um, I want to get back into sort of the mahi do a bit more, but um, you talk about, you know, you're, you've got a really close, tight connection to your rarotongan side, um, and you're also Māori, obviously. Um, but can you talk a bit more about how you came to grow up in South Auckland, um, who you grew up with, like, talk a bit more about your whānau? Yeah, so I am second generation, born and raised in South Auckland. Um, my grandparents on both sides, they came from the islands and hoping to get a better future for their kids, so which are my parents. So they were also born and raised here in South Auckland. Um, we had a family home in Otara for, we just recently sold on that house. Yeah, so we lost a lot of memories, a lot of good times in that house. Um, but that would literally host up to 20 people in that one house. Um, but yeah, it's actually been quite a struggle, especially for my parents with their parents saying they're speaking in um, their language in Cook Island. And then having my parents not being able to speak it just because it wasn't as important as learning in Auckland. Mm -hmm. So, and then for my sister as well, she had to go out and learn in her own education, in her own time having to speak te reo as well first, and then trying to learn Cook Island. And then for myself and every opportunity that I can, and with my career, I've been trying to involve myself more, trying to give my identity and confidence back into myself. Um, yeah, and that's also a really big struggle. Um, you talk about the loss of sort of memories, potentially by losing that place that you go to. You've often talked also about um, uh, your home where you grew up, which is a different home, um, where you, you have lots of people staying often and people come back from Rarotonga and they stay with you for extended periods of time. And um, what was that like growing up, like being across those two yeah. homes? So the family home in Otara, it would be the place where everyone would come back to if we had people coming from Raro, from family or Tahiti or Australia or wherever, they would go straight to that house. And that's fine, you house them, that's what you do, you accommodate however long that they need to be there. Um, it's fine, we always had a mattress or something for them. And then the house got sold. Um, and then, so they came to our house, which is a lot smaller. Um, and that was a bit to adjust to, uh, just having, eight to ten people in one home with one bathroom um it was just quite cramped but it was great it was it was it was normal mm. 
I thought it was quite normal, but we had a lot of people that come through the house, a lot of short-term stays, mm. and then other people are quite long. <laughs> but, you know, you just have to say yes. You can't say no. So, yeah, we had a lot of people that come through, and I don't say it really does. Everyone's headed. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to share space and trying to accommodate to them, having to drive them around. Um, feeding people, even though we didn't have a lot, um, we just gave what we had. Just That's all they really needed, just a place to stay until they could move on to wherever they needed to go. So yeah, we're, we're now their family home. Yeah, but you've recently moved out of the family home? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> that was an interesting story. Um, the realities of living with your parents. We clash, we butt heads. So anyways, got the boot. Um, so I had to go find my own place. And so I'm flatting now, which is okay. It's actually quite, quite different comparing it to how I was raised with a lot of people and having to share my space, having to share everything and cook for everyone. Um, and then come to my own flat, which is a lovely place. I live with two guys. We all don't really know each other. Um, and it's actually quite lonely. It's quite isolating. I don't know what to do when I get home after work. I'm only cooking for myself and I don't even know how to cook for one person. I'm usually cooking for six people. Um, yeah, there's a bit of a waste of food in that. I'm, I'm still learning with that. Um, yeah, I still see my family every week. They're still inviting me over, even though I'm trying to like be independent. I'm trying to be grown and not rely on them, but even, they just bring me back. So they also keep me quite humble. Currently, my, um, my sister and my mama in Raro at the moment. And so they're trying to hold land there. And my, my sister's trying to take a break mm. in the islands. And so all the way from there, they're still giving us orders from over here. So we're still having to run around for family, still trying to house family. Um, honestly. Yeah. yeah, the realities of living in a PI Māori family. Mm. So wherever we are in this world, we still have our space, have our home. Mm. And that that's what brings me back and quite it really grounds me mm. with everything that I do. Yeah, that's my why. So going back to that, um, this this why, and um, I know as someone who studied alongside you, um, that in your final year thesis, um, I remember going to your examination, um, and you did, you basically designed this place that your mum is trying to establish, right? Like you wanted to design the homestead of Arutunga, um that would go on this land that they're trying to find and 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 one of well the land was kind of chosen but um can you talk a little bit more about that and around your aspirations for your whanau going forward yeah so we have this uh one plot of land um that's actually quite up the street from all our family we're literally five minutes away from each other in raro uh anyways so i chose that piece of land so i could do my thesis and base it around my family mm. Because if I'm doing a thesis, I might as well do it on my family. Um, 
And so come to my final examination and I had to describe and like show my, my work and my, what I've designed and what I've tried to build and my why and all the things that I created. And then my mom didn't even like it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but she was just like trying to say it in a nice way in the audience. She was like saying um, that she would have worked on it a bit more. I was like, okay, thank you. Um, so yeah, it was quite, it was, it was quite homey feeling because you know she stays true, she, she stays is. honest. Um, but honestly, she's honest. Like the the main reason why I am who I am. So I can't fault her on that. <laughs> no, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but your mum has high expectations. Shocking. But within in a good way, in yeah. a good way. So oh, the true. process, um, so you have to attain the land, you have to go through at least 50% of the signatures have to be approved from the whānau that are related to that land and then you can start building on it but only if you get approval. And so land courts are only twice a year because they get the, um, they have people from New Zealand, they go over and do that, sort that out. Um, so it's quite a process but it's, the Rarotonga way is that you have to work with the communities. Mm. You can't just go in there and say, I need this and this and this, can you sign it? And then it'll be sorted. It's not like that. Mm. Um, and what was that process like for you when you did your thesis? Because I know you did quite Oh a lot yeah, of so I went to go and do my engagement with my family for people that are related to the land. It was actually quite a process having to go through ethics when they said it's a conflict of interest if you interview your family and I was like everyone's related in Raro so there's no way I could like go around that so I did some interviews and I did some group activities with my family trying to see what they would do and what they would envision for themselves on this piece of land um, it was great it was really great I had aunties and uncles I had kids there I had different people. I had people in backgrounds of construction. Um, just, it was great. It was a really genuine feedback. And that really helped my principles and the reason why I did it and the spaces that were quite important for that. So, yeah. And are you doing similar mahi like that back here in Aotearoa? Like yes, so Mall Studio, I worked there full time. They are a small architectural and design practice. Uh, they, their main target audience is South Auckland whānau. Um, so I've done a lot of work with whānau in um, Ihumata. So that was really great learning how to do building consent and how to design with larger, larger families, which was quite normal living coming from that space. So it was great to know that what I'm doing is actually affecting and helping other whānau in similar situations, um, but it's still quite difficult knowing that I can't do it for myself and for my own family, but you know, we'll get to there eventually. And you've, as you say, you've lived in Tijuana Ashley, you're now flatting, um, you have flatted before, can you just talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the pros, the cons, the challenges, the things you love about living intergenerationally, some of the things that were hard about moving out? Um, yeah, just. Mm -hmm. So 
I've lived with my family intergenerationally for up to 24, when, when I was 24. And then I tried to move out with my cousins uh, in a flat, um, tried that out, thinking that living with your, living with people that you know was a great, safer way to do things. Um, just learning about the dynamics on how you're supposed to live with other people that are not within your cultural background. And so that was something to sh I was struggling with. So I moved out in that first flat. It, I mean, it was great. It was a learning experience in a whole. It was not a positive uh, experience as, as much because we went through COVID and I was going through uh, studying through thesis. Um, it was the first COVID lockdown actually. And it was like four weeks of hard, no contact, no physical contact with your whānau. You can't bring anyone over. And I was just by myself and my cousins, they, they were a couple. So they had each other and I didn't have anyone. And so I was really isolated. Um, I was constantly on video calls, trying to call up family. Um, there was a lot of uh, teary sessions just you know breakdowns with a lot of stress from uni just because well they weren't prepared for it so I understand that but we just didn't have I didn't have a laptop I didn't have a computer I didn't have any programs I couldn't do my work so for like the whole time that I've been doing uni I've used those resources at uni and then I had to stay home and I didn't have anything so lucky that I had um study link or I had uh, scholarships so I quickly bought a laptop and I had to try um, call up the lecturers to try getting me the programs and they're so expensive and but they were like it's fine it's personal use because you have to stay home I was like um okay sure I can't afford it but it's fine I'll work it out so yeah, I was by myself and it was actually like quite difficult. I was like, yes, I'm going to practice trying to be independent, try live in my own space, try to be okay with being in quiet spaces. But at the, at the end of the day, it was just wasn't, it just wasn't great. Um, so yeah, I had to extend my time for doing my thesis just because it just, it wasn't realistic. I had no resources. I had no help only through my friends, thank God for my friends. Um, and yeah, I think I had like daily messages from my mum trying to check in with me. And she was like, just give me one reason and you can come back home. She was like, I don't care what they say, you come back home and you can live with us. And I was like, I don't want to live with you, but yes, thank you. Um, uh, and then, so after the lockdown, I lasted eight months, <laughs> just eight months out of my family home, away from my family. And so I moved back home and then they, they were pretty much just like, it was great. It was like a reunion, um, very positive vibes from my family. They gave their emotional support and like mentally grounded me and kept saying that uni is a focus, you still got to keep going, even though we were in a pandemic. So we all pulled our resources together, all of the little monies that we had, um, 
my dad would do baking and that would like cheer me up when I had to do all-nighters <laughs> trying to work on my thesis. Um, and then my mum would all wake the whole household up just to like get us moving so no one's sleeping in um, and get us to do our classes online. So yeah, it was, even though they couldn't financially help me with a lot of the resources that I needed, they were there to support me in other ways. So I think in a way that's the most important thing about living with your family. So just, just the extra support that you needed. Um, yeah, so then that ended for another two years I was staying there and then I had to move out again. <laughs> so I probably won't go back. And did you see, um, did you see lots of other Māori and Pacific students struggling with similar things during uni and COVID? Yeah, so my partner, um, he was living with his family as well and he also didn't have a computer. Actually, almost all of my friends, all of the, the brown people, didn't have the resources because we would all go um, to uni to work together. We would do all-nighters together. We would help each other. We would support each other. And then we had to stay home and then we didn't have anything. So, yeah, there were, there were quite a lot of people in similar situations. There, you could see that there was quite a difference between the brown students and the other students. Um, yeah, you could relate with the brown people. So, yeah, we were all there for each other, supporting each other in different ways that we could. Um, cool. I think maybe just to kind of now you've been through all these different things and you're now a graduate of um, architecture and you're working towards registration, I think, um, and working within a, you know, in a space in South Auckland with specifically Māori and Pacific communities. Um, <clears throat> to you, what does sort of, what does home mean to you and sort of what would you, what would you like to see for the future of the communities that you're working with? So I guess home means where my family is. It doesn't matter if it's outside of Auckland or if it's in Rara or if it's here in Tamaki, it's where my family is. And so it will always be, that will always be home. And what the household brought for us was the essence of a smaller community. All the life skills that I learned within trying to connect with other people, the relationships you had to learn, like figure out um, we had a structure as well within the family and that helped me with learning uh, life skills as well that I could apply to almost everything in my career um, but I guess outside of outside of studying now finished I would say if I could go back I would rather try to do like a um, what do you call those apprenticeships? <laughs> I would actually take it back because honestly, doing your bachelor's was great, and then finishing your master's, and then coming out of it and still not having the money that you thought it would be, the goals that you thought it would be. Um, I don't know. It just would have been a lot better if I had a, a more wider idea on what things cost. Mm -hmm. 
and like the realistic things of living in Tamaki. Just in Tamaki, trying to be a young person is just really hard. There's so many barriers. We're trying to learn how to get into home ownership. Can't do that, can't afford it. Um, don't know anything about it, don't know the process. Um, so, yeah, we're just, honestly just stumbling around, really. Just trying to reach out to my friends and be like, do you know how to get a house? And they're like, why would I need to get a house when I live with my family? I was like, okay. Cool. And just to finish, so you are, you, are some of the projects that you're working on kind of give you hope, though, that there's, there's some great alternative yeah. things that are happening out there? So with Nawai, with a lot of the work that I'm doing is trying to identify what defines Rangasahi or who is, who, who is Rangasahi. And that's me. So I thought it was quite, quite good trying to learn what everyone else is also struggling with. So a lot of that is with um, everyone not knowing how to get into housing as well. That was a big thing but also learning that people are quite displaced in their identity and their lack of confidence in that. I thought that was a really key, key conflict thing. So, um, <laughs> so Nawai and Mal Studio and my architectural background have all helped me be aware in what the realistic views of housing in Tamaki is like. And honestly, it's, a, it's quite a struggle trying to get there um, and trying to educate others as well on this journey. So I know that there's different ways that maybe home could be, what that, what that could look like. Because I know with your um, tiny house, I was like, oh, maybe we don't need a home. Maybe it doesn't need to look exactly like everyone else's. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways, but honestly, this is like a, the longest journey. And I really hope there's, there's a brighter house out there for me in my final. So. Cool. Well, um, really look forward to working with you lots more in the future and all the best. Kilda. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a disclaimer from us, we are no housing experts. However, we are passionate about supporting rangatahi to secure safe, adequate and healthy homes.